today on my first concert. And he went through it all. And in fact, the, uh, the, there was time they pressed the button hydraulically, the, the piano from with the rainbow from Sergeant Pepper came out of the stage and he began playing that. And every once in a while, he would stop and say, how's that sound? <laughs> you say that to me. Don Shelby was a longtime news anchor at UCCO TV, and that's where many of you know him from. He was good. So good, he received recognition from his peers across the country among the Broadcast Journalism Awards, multiple national Emmys, the prestigious Peabody, winning one actually as a career maker, he won two. And we're just kind of scratching the surface. Incidentally, he was a good athlete as well, with basketball being one of his numerous passions. I know that because I played hoops with Don and broke his thumb with a very exuberant pass when he was open, and I thought we'd score and get the lead. But it didn't seem to phase you, because even later that night, I was watching the news, and Don had his hands on the desk in a cast. His thumb was in a cast, but it kind of kept that down below the camera level, and I felt horrible, although I was trying to give it a, get an assist for myself and feed it off. But his love of music, I think, is maybe lesser known, but it's where our focus is today, and he has a great passion for it. We'll talk to Don in just a second. A special thanks to those of you listening to My First Concert, a podcast available at Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Excited to be broadcasting from the Aquarius Home Services Studio, too. They're one of our great sponsors here. I'd uh, give them a call, or better yet, go to their website and check them out and all the great things they do. Also, StarBank.net, a wonderful partner of this program as are the folks at propane.com, where timely and very interesting things are happening that we'll touch on later. And uh, I think you'll be very impressed with what's happening there with propane. It's very interesting. Dave Lee here, along with producer Brianne Burdett. Brianne, nice to see you again, as usual. Great to see you. And Don Shelby, thanks for taking the time today. Well, Dave, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this. Well, uh, before we get into your love of music and you have a great passion for it, first concert. Do you remember it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the first three concerts were the same band. Um, and I know, uh, looking back at some of your uh, past episodes, that I probably won't want to delve too much into this because you probably talked it through. But... It was the Beach Boys three times, uh, all at the Indianapolis Coliseum. Had to drive 52 miles <laughs> to see that. Uh, what kind of car were you driving? Uh, I drove a 1947 Willys Jeep Wagoneer. Oh, my. Uh, with uh, spider wheels on the front and <laughs> cheater slicks on the back. And it was raked, and it had racing stripes on the side. Now, remember, it's the 47. And I had a 90-horsepower engine in it, but I had hood locks because I ran straight pipes off of it. So I would, you know, Indiana being near the raceway, everybody had a muscle car. Yeah. And I would pull up to a stoplight and there'd be a vet next to it. And I would just, uh, with these straight pipes off this 6, this N96, yeah. I would just, <laughs> and no one would take me off the line. They would just, no, no, no. They would shake. And I had nothing. I could hardly get uphill. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, 90 I, horses. And I made, uh, and it's hard for people today to realize that the Beach Boys were so fabulous yeah. and so important um, because it was the prior Beatles. 
and I uh, I took two three quarter inch uh, slabs of plywood and cut it out in the shape of a surfboard, and I put that on the rack on top of the thing, and I I had the uh, White River Surf Club uh, <laughs> painted on the side. <laughs> <laughs> now, White River is just a trickle sure. and runs red most of the time from <laughs> iron uh, manufacturers, and uh, it was terrible. But uh, I was I was literally the farthest away from any ocean <laughs> or any surf you could be. But I had bleach blonde long hair, and I wore the uh, the horizontal stripe uh, soccer sort of uh, collared shirt, uh, maybe a rugby shirt. And uh, I looked like a beach boy, and I wanted to be a beach boy. And so I was so happy with that. And I saw Glenn Campbell for the first time before he was Glenn Campbell yeah. of note because he was playing with the Beach Boys. That's right, yeah. Great he, studio musician. He, oh, he was the, the greatest uh, studio musician when it came to lead guitar that anybody would ever want. He was pre-Hendrix and his, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, they always wanted him and he had this great high voice anyway, as you know. And so he could hit all of these great harmonies which, if you break it down, those uh, thirds and fifths are pretty uh, obvious. That's for freshman kind of stuff. But but the genius of Brian, that he would create sixths and sevenths for the harmony. And I've heard the studio recordings of the individuals doing their parts, and the songs that we know that are classic do not sound the way they're singing them anything like the song themselves because they're just singing opposite notes and they don't sound like the songs. But anyway, I loved the Beach Boys and still do, and I keep them on my uh, uh, everything you can keep <laughs> Beach Boys songs on. I have them on my phone right now. Would, would you argue that Pet Sounds is still one of the best albums ever? I would not only argue that, but, uh, but Paul McCartney would argue that. He'd, he'd, he'd say that it was better than Sgt. Pepper. What do you remember about the concert then? Beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the sound uh, and, and seeing the joy that I later realized that you have to manufacture. Uh, once I got in front of audiences and once I got in front of microphones, to have the energy like this is your first concert. Yeah. And it was probably the 100th concert that year that they had done. But they performed, uh, they, were, they were just out of their minds. And we were out of our minds. <laughs> we did... Brian Wilson at each performance that you've seen, the three of them? Or how many times have you seen him? Brian wasn't with the last... Uh, performance. Sure, but you've seen them before then? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, with Brian. Yeah, they were loaded with talent. And uh, I, I've told Brianne this story, but I took my daughter one time, we're at the zoo, the Beach Boys, you know, the oh, what, yeah. what was left of them. It was Brian, and it was um, Al Jardine. Oh, yeah. Al Jardine. And uh, it was Brian Johnston. Yeah. And, and yeah, he was the, he was put in uh, uh, to replace yes. Glenn. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so they were there, and I, I said, oh, I said, well, let's run over to the zoo. I said, I want to see this band that 
was uh, huge, huge. And so I brought her with, and every song I say, okay, that was it. She finally turned and said, Dad, I know who they are. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's good. Maybe I'm a, you know, that the kids still like the Beach Boys. Yes. Yeah. And I you love know, the Beach Boys. There's They're... one song, then, Brianne, you ought, you ought to know about, uh, that you do probably know about, but it is the song that makes me cry today when I hear an oldie station play it, or if I call it up on Alexa or whatever. Don't worry, baby. That's it. That's it for me, too. Is it? The yeah. beginning of that with the drums oh and the, <laughs> the harmony like oh, you talked about. unbelievable. It's my favorite Beach Boys song. Yeah. And that's a hard kind of, you know, distinction to make, but Absolutely. I agree. And I uh, interviewed um, Bernstein one time. And I said to him, as the greatest Leonard Bernstein, said, what is the best song, the best music? And I'm, 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 I'm expecting him to say something about West Side Story or something about, uh, that was the pop genre, but maybe something about uh, some composition by Handel or Dvorak or something in the classical realm because he was doing all the uh, classical conducting as well as composing. And he said, oh, without question, good vibrations. <laughs> wow. He says it's the greatest song ever written. Huh. He says the most complicated. He said it, it compares at the very top of the greatest uh, classical compositions ever done. Beethoven, Mozart, Handel. It's, it makes no difference. It's the most complicated composition ever. That's that just amazing. shows you the kind of uh, genius that Brian had, and the fact that Bernstein will go out of his out of his uh, his uh, genre, his genre, and and know even know about that sometimes because they're so focused on what oh, they sure. do. Wow, yeah. that's that's stunning. Have you seen the movie Love and Mercy? Then with yes. uh, it probably doesn't give justice to the genius of everything. But right. I I really enjoyed that kind of insight into how they composed all that stuff. And Absolutely, just how different Brian Wilson is, and what a gift he kind of is. Yeah, a very hard to follow guy. He's yeah. such a genius that uh, he he says things so you will understand them. But I want to. I would love to have an interview where you could just drill down and make it really complicated to actually explore the kind of genius. Why do you hit that note? Why Why did you pick that sixth out of? Uh, a C major chord, the sixth of the C major, why did you hit that note? Because that note rings and stays with you the rest of your life. Because it was so odd placement of that. And and that's only genius. Did you have the big speakers in that Willie so that you could have the Beach Boys cranked I had up? nothing. I had nothing. <laughs> I I had uh, the most I had was I took out the back seat. And I put in a, a mattress. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I put bamboo. See, I was bam dumb enough to put speakers in, and you're putting a mattress back there. I put there. a mattress back in there, and it wasn't for camping. I, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I loaded up with um, my mom's throwaway uh, bamboo curtain. <laughs> and so you couldn't see in at all. And um, my mother, who was a person 
uh, a frank person when it came to language. Uh, I'll only say that about her. God bless her. She said uh, she called it a blank mobile. (laughs) 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 And it was. It was. It was. Well, we'll come back more with Don Shelby here in just a second, being brought to you by our friends at Aquarius Home Services. Gosh, Jeff and I have been friends for a couple of decades, and it's fun to see how this business has just grown. It's just uh, done so well. And there's a reason for that, because he went in with a plan. He knew what he was going to do. He wanted to make sure that you and me as customers, you and I, we got to make sure that everything is working properly. They don't want to have to come back and fix it, but they will if they need to. But most times they don't. And it all started, in our case, with a water softener, the Connecticut water softener system, which has been wonderful. And you think about the water you're drinking or using or for whatever it is, it, that's probably you know one of the priorities in your home. So they take care of that. But at Aquarius Home Services, now they do the furnaces. They'll do your plumbing. Uh, and if you're in the mood for a fresh start this year, I know your furnace has been working hard this winter, for sure. We all know there's plenty of winter to go on, too. So with your safety and comfort, as their top priority, Aquarius Home Services is offering a great deal on any furnace repair right now because your furnace peace of mind is just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Aquarius, earning the right to be recommended, and you can reach out to them at AquariusHomeServices.com. I'm going to tell you something. Unsolicited testimonial. Uh, and I paid full cash, got no deal. Uh, Aquarius Home Services did my cabin on uh, the St. Croix. And it was fabulous because it was well water. Yeah. And uh, they figured out a way to take the smell out of it, to, to make the taste just wonderful. Uh, all the water softeners. I had three different devices down there. Uh, they recommended all of it, and it solved all the problems. And they came out and fixed anything when there was ever a question because the cabin set for a while, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yep. unattended. And so if I just t- told them, I haven't been there for a, uh, winter for the winter, can you check it out? Absolutely. Boom. They were there. Yeah. Ask you where to park. Yeah. Put those little things under fair. I mean, they, yeah. Absolutely. They, yeah, they've got a customer service. Actually, they could be a prototype for a lot of businesses, the way right. they've run it over there. Right. That's yeah. an unpaid testimony. How about that? Don, music-wise, concerts or interviews, anything stands out to you? I mean, you've done plenty of interviews in, yes. your, in your life. Um, beside Bernstein, which is still floors me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the good vibrations. Wow. I think I would have been intimidated talking to him. Um, I was not smart enough to be intimidated. <laughs> um, I may not even have had a really good grasp mm-hmm. of who Leonard Bernstein was. Um, and that's happened to me throughout my career. It might have happened to you, but... Oh, many times, um, yeah. And and I, I don't have reg- regrets in my life because I know you can't go back and change things. But uh, now that I uh, had some profession as an interviewer, I think back of the interviews that I've done, and I thought, my, I was a dummy. What a dummy. I should have asked him this. I should have asked him this. And I did not. And so, But it's the kind of thing that floats through your head when you're driving down the road and having no uh, thought at all about anything. And all of a sudden it goes, God, well, 
Why did I ask that question from 40 years ago? You're wondering that. I'll do that in the morning at 3.30. <laughs> yeah, I totally comprehend what you're saying. So, uh, yes, uh, there were uh, things beyond the concerts. I'm going to conclude with a concert. Um, but I, I want to tell you then I went to the University of Cincinnati to study uh, music and uh become a disc jockey, and to, uh, I was in the College Conservatory of Music, which was rated higher than Juilliard at the time, mm. but the Radio and Television Journalism School was also housed there, and it was off campus. I had to walk uh, through a, a not very pleasant neighborhood, Coryville and Avondale. Uh, you're always taking your life in your hands, but one of the joys for me is that uh, the gangs weren't gun gangs. Uh, they were street singer gangs, and they that's how they squared off. They would have these, you would set your garbage can on fire in the winter, and, and, uh, and then the two groups would come together, and they would sing a cappella doo-wop songs, and I loved that. And I started walking home in an unusual way, and I came uh, a little tiny building, just a very not much larger than a studio, it seemed to me, the main office of the little bigger uh, studio behind it. King Studios. It was a recording place, much like Stax or Sun down yeah. in Memphis. And uh, I wanted to see their board because I was doing radio at the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see how their pots worked and whatever. They didn't have sliders at that time. No, all pots. Everything were on VU meters. Yep, little switch at the top, three toggles, yep. pots for it to go in. Yeah. And I had no idea who recorded there. And so I came in, I was talking to the engineer, and he said, well, we've got a session uh, later on if you can stay. Uh, and I said, well, sure, I'd love to. First saw, person I saw was uh, Maceo. Then the second person was Mr. Bird. Then, then James Brown came. And I sat in the recording session of Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, um, just sitting on the other side of the glass. And I could not believe that I'm watching James Brown and, as, and how almost dictatorial he was with uh, the drums and and the uh, organs and the horns and yeah I just watched uh, the movie last uh, two weeks ago it was unbelievable well um, that then triggered that's what I want to do I want to be a studio recording engineer and of course it uh, never happened but uh, that wasn't a concert, but it was a relationship that, oh, uh, that what an never, ever, ever left me. And then uh, some um, months later, I was uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, uh, caught Wilson Pickett doing exactly the same thing because I became uh, aware that these people were in these buildings and doing these kinds of songs that you would later play as a disc jockey on yeah. the air. But you fast forward, and I get a call. Uh, geez, I'm 86 or something. I get a call, and uh, I recognize the voice. I'm at CCO. And the voice says, uh, be at the studio 
at 2 o'clock tonight. And I knew who it was. And so I did. So I drove to this studio uh, out by Eden Prairie and uh, walked in the door, was escorted into the main uh, studio, the rehearsal studio, with the full stage, and I watched uh, Prince, Miles Davis, George Clinton, Mavis Staples uh, do their entire road show. They were, they were just rehearsing. In person. In person. And uh, it was an unbelievable thing. Now, oh. Everybody has Prince stories, but this one has George Clinton, Miles Davis, and Mavis Staples. <laughs> and I could talk about the rest of the band as, as well, and, and probably should, but for, for time, I'm just going to say that moment was, uh, I, I, I felt sometimes I had to gasp for air when I saw not only Prince perform, but to hear Mavis Staples, yeah. and I'm going to take you there. And she's and, still going strong. Oh, she is going strong. Yeah. And uh, and then Miles Davis, who I had known from childhood, uh, with all the history. I, mean, I my goodness, the uh, the bitches brew and all of the music, and here he is, and he, he would play, and he would turn his back on the audience and just play with his head down and the, the sound and then the love I had for Prince beyond Prince himself but that he would bring these people in and I left out Sly uh, Stone oh my, wow so he was there it just keep getting bigger yeah and uh, I just uh, was floating when I left that place and, we, and the entire concert the entire road concert so we stayed for two and a half hours just one after the other. And so that was uh, a concert I'll never forget, which was really not a concert. It was a rehearsal. Yeah. But, but it the was best way to see it. Just unbelievable watching that. But there, there must have been 12 people uh, in the audience. Yeah. That's and we were all standing. No one was sitting. We were just all standing. And uh, How was he was aware of your, of your love for the music? Well, uh, it, uh, Jam and Terry and I were great friends. Okay. And uh, Jellybean was a great friend of mine. And um, and I had been out there one time playing basketball with him uh, yeah. before. No, they loved shooting hoops. Oh, he loved shooting yeah. hoops. He was good. He was good for a short guy. And uh, he had a lot of uh, quick moves. And they, you know, in the back of the studio, they had the uh, basketball court. And so uh, we had that kind of relationship. Uh, that, I, sh I shouldn't call it a relationship. It was not a relationship. I did not know him very well. But he uh, watched television, and he obviously was aware of me, and he had checked me out with uh, some sure. of the other guys. And so I did get that phone call. I said, be there. So, wow. But that was a, a, a wonderful thing. And... So uh, Wilson Pickett and James Brown and all the people that I just uh, mentioned. And uh, I'll conclude with this. Um, 
Paul McCartney was doing the first uh, solo tour after Beatles and Wings, doing the first solo tour and started Europe. And uh, Blockbuster, you remember Blockbuster? Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was a place to be for a little while. And they had tons and tons and tons of money. Uh, Were one of the sponsors. Well, I had read where he said he was not going to do any interviews at all. And you know me well enough to say, uh, when you're told that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yep, that's the competitor that, that, in you. That's yep. the one thing you're yep. going to be looking for. So uh, we worked a deal through Blockbuster, who got in touch with him and said, "Would you uh, do an interview?" And he said, "Well, it would be uh, if I do if you insist on that. That's the only interview that I will do." But I've got to meet the person before Mm. I agree to it. And so the first stop in the European tour was at the Orange Bowl. And I end up with plane tickets for my wife and I. So Barbara's going. We fly down the limousine out to the Orange Bowl. There are 12 semis. Uh, There's a uh, big top tent that Linda was doing only organic and, and vegetarian meals for the entire crew of 270 people. Um, and I uh, was ushered into a little room and uh, and in walks Paul McCartney. And uh, I my heart uh, skipped a beat, but my wife nearly fainted because <laughs> he was the cute one and she had been in love with a cute one yeah. Yeah. her whole life. <laughs> and she, I have never uh, seen Barbara not be able to speak. And she couldn't say <laughs> a word. And here's what I want to tell you about Paul McCartney. He walked past me and walked over to Barbara and knelt in front of her and said, you must be Barbara. And talked to her for 15 minutes before he even turned to me. Mm-hmm. And I, what a gentleman, what a perfect gentleman move that was. Because he's got nothing to gain from talking to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not writing the piece. Uh, she's not doing the interview. And then we just started chatting about, whatever. you can't believe how mundane the things we were talking about, and he was leading it, and uh, and it was like he needed to talk about the mundane. Yeah, he didn't want to because I believed at the time, Dave, that he was the most, and until today, even today, the most interviewed person in the world in the history of interviewing. Could well if be. If you can think yeah. of anyone who has been interviewed more times. Then Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. uh, I will be glad to listen to your argument. That's a good point. I don't think anyone's ever been interviewed more t- often. Anyway, so uh, we got to know each other. Then uh, uh, Rody came in and said, uh, sound check. Uh, you have to be there. And so he said, okay, fine. And he, got to, and he turned around and he said, you want to uh, come out to listen to sound check? 
<laughs> yes. Now, Barbara couldn't talk at this no, point, but not, you could no, say yes. So, right, right, so I said yes for both of us. And, <laughs> and so we go out, and in, in the Orange Bowl, um, they've got all the seats and the stage at the goalpost, and uh, first seats probably start at the 10-yard line. And uh, Barbara and I are the only people in the audience. Wow. And he would... <laughs> You won't believe this. He they would do uh, like forty bars of each song that was going to be in the concert. That was over the sound check, and the, uh, they had all the players on stage. And he went through it all. And in fact, the, uh, the there was a time they pressed the button hydraulically, the uh, the piano from with the rainbow from Sergeant Pepper came out of the stage and he began playing that. And every once in a while he would stop and say, How's that sound? He would say that to me. <laughs> to me. How's that sound? Your thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yeah, that was good. That was good. You should have done one of these. I, 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 you, know, you, know, you know, you might hit that bridge a little hard. You know, I'm not hearing you. Oh, You're God. off mic a little bit. What a moment. And and so uh I'm, I'm in heaven. Oh. I'm, I'm just yeah, in, how can you not in be? heaven. And so we, <laughs> we end up going to the concert. And so I say my first, uh, my first concert is the Beach Boys. We're in front row, but the front row is uh, his friends. That's the front row, his, his friends. I sit next to Mike Love. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And Mike Love wants to know about me. Yeah, what are you doing here? That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're going to find me interesting. <laughs> so um, my, my head is just uh, exploding for this whole thing. But the point of this time together was he was going to judge whether I would be the interview uh, that year. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I got the yes about a week after we got back. There would be his manager called and said, yeah, we'll do the interview at the Astrodome. I mean, not the Astrodome, at the uh, <laughs> Hubert Humphrey Metrodome, where he was going to perform in three weeks. So I show up to do the thing. And as we're doing the uh, interview, now, and Dave, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Good interviewers have a couple of things going on. Uh, one, you you want to either break news or hear something new. You don't want to ask questions that they've answered a million times because there are tapes in their brain. Uh, and I... I had gone and looked at a lot of these interviews, thousands of hours of interviews, and heard the same questions over and over and over again, and the answers are always exactly the same. So I knew I'm going to not ask any of those questions during this interview. So uh, I asked a, a number of questions, uh, none having to do with the that would trigger his tape, that would just be, here's the answer to the question I'm so used to. 
So I said this question. You changed rock and roll. You introduced chords outside the CFG standard rock and roll progression. You introduced symphonic uh, horns, flugels, uh, harps. Um, who gave you the permission to change rock and roll? <laughs> and he said, and, and, and you'll know this as an interviewer, music to my ears, music to yours. He said, I've never been asked that question before. <sighs> and then he had to think, mm -hmm. pause, and he said, my father. He said, my father was a skilled uh, musician, but he had American tunes, blues, rock and roll, big band, classical, and every night we would come home, there would be a new album playing. And he would tell me, it's all music. Before I was even a musician, before I'd even picked up the guitar or the piano, uh, the bass, guitar, and piano. And uh, so he went on and on about his dad, and he was waxing eloquent, and, and it was so personal to him that I, that question opened a door. Mm -hmm. Then I said, I led with a question that would be so common. And, and I had heard many pe people ask this thing. I said, it is uh, very clear from the literature and very clear from the catalogs that you wrote the love songs and John wrote the rock and roll songs. I don't want to ask you about that. Because <laughs> he was, the tape was starting to get <laughs> speed, right? Yeah. He's starting to speed on the on the tape. I'm not going to ask about that. I mean, some uh, people just want to fill the world with silly love songs. Am I right? Exactly right. And so then I said, what I want to know is when you sit down the piano to compose a new song, a new love song, and you are creating the lyric and the melody line. Do you actually hear in your brain or in your dreams or wherever these come from, do you hear yourself singing these songs? And I mean, he sat back and was absolutely quiet. And he said, how did you know? I didn't know. How did you know? I said, how did I know what? He said, every song that I've ever written for the Beatles, for Wings, for my own work, I don't hear my voice. I write these songs for Patty Page to sing. Wow. He said, because my dad's favorite singer. And so every song I write, I hear her voice. Cut. 
we're done. Wrap that interview. Oh, wow. And it was uh, one of the great highlights of my life, Dave. Oh. To uh, sit with this incredibly kind, most talented, most interviewed person in the world. Um, and to and to do this one thing, the the second part of the piece I was telling you, where we have two the two interests, a, a fond hope for interviewers, and it is this: when the interview is completed, not only will you remember the moment of that interview, but the person being interviewed will also remember that moment and they will know your name and they will compare every other interview they've ever done to the one you did. And so I got a letter from him. Best interview ever. Mm. That's all it said. Wow. Thank Congrats. You. And it was, thank you very much, Paul McCartney. Yeah. The humility is yeah. something special. Yeah. We've talked. Taylor Swift has a has a, has kind of that same inclination. Yeah, she seems to care about the room. Yeah. yeah. Wow, Don, that's a great. That's unbelievable. Don't stop. We're gonna come back with Don Shelby here in just a second. This is my first concert, and we're great great to have you with as always. I do want to mention our bank here at Talk North Star Bank. I was just by there the other day, as a matter of fact, and they have uh, folks over there that you know Don and I are talking about getting to know somebody. They're going to get to know you. You're going to get to know them. I would say that's just as important. You'll walk out of there going, oh, yeah, I just talked with Katie or whoever it is. At Star Bank, they make local lending decisions. There's 10 locations throughout the state of Minnesota. They started in the ag community, so they're still doing that, uh, which has to be kind of a quick pivot. And it depends upon weather conditions. It depends upon all sorts of things, uh, the market prices. They have that ability to call that audible if it's uh, involving some ag-related decisions. They've done this for their entire careers. And so don't hesitate to get a hold of them. But also in the business world, and I was talking about the bank right here in Eden Prairie, and they're doing all sorts of things in the business world as well. The point is, and personal accounts. So if you want to do all of that stuff online, that's no problem. They do it right. Online banking is terrific over there. They have a virtual bank branch in the palm of your hand. Schedule your payments, do whatever, deposit checks, move money, whatever it is. But I like the idea you can still go in there like an old-fashioned bank and get to know those people. And it's kind of that hometown feel. It's very cool. They know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. Starbank.net. I check them out. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Don Shelby, among the greatest concerts you've ever been to. And I, hate, I won't isolate that to the greatest unless you decide to do that, but among the best. Well, aside from those concerts with the Beach Boys, which were so important to me in that young age, mm -hmm. 16, 17, 18, um, the best concert I think I ever saw, which I didn't think I would like, was uh, Queen. Uh, I wasn't a big Queen fan at that time, but they had, I think, uh, it wasn't Freddie Mercury. He died. Adam had, Lambert? No, it wasn't Adam Lambert. It was Paul Rogers. Oh, Paul Rogers. Yes, he did it for a while, didn't he? And, uh, and this was at the uh, at uh, River Center, and it was unbelievable. 
And I was particularly watching Paul Rogers because how in the world do you do Freddie Mercury? And, of course, I'd been a big fan of Brian May. Well, I had backstage passes. Anyway, I was I had a conversation, which I wish had been recorded. So <laughs> I spent some time with Paul Rogers, but I really wanted to talk to Brian May because I play guitar and I play in a, a blues band. And so uh, I said to him, uh, and you've been doing this for a long time, what what is your ultimate goal? And he said, uh, get my doctorate in astrophysics. Par- pardon <laughs> you me? weren't expecting. <laughs> what? Uh, pardon me. <laughs> yeah. And he did. He did. He has a doctorate degree in astrophysics. Hmm. And I think he just was knighted by uh, the royals. And you'll you never know about people, and that's the the glory of doing the kind of work we do is to is to mine those things uh, that otherwise people wouldn't know, and that other people keep under their hats. The ah, uh, you wouldn't be interested in that. Uh, mm-hmm. And we talked about astrophysics. <laughs> <laughs> for 45 minutes backstage and he was delighted he was delighted that somebody was asking him not about Freddie Mercury or when is the band going to split up or who's your next Freddie Mercury we we're just talking astrophysics like I knew anything about astrophysics <laughs> but I kept asking the questions yeah. well sure and uh, it was just a delightful thing to watch, and uh, and Paul Rogers was unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. But he, they're, they're, they're beaming. Yes. When there's some little thing like that that someone seems to have an interest in, because you're right, nobody's yeah. they're never talking about that sort yeah. of stuff. And I became a Queen fan. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Afterwards, well, they bring the energy on their shows. That's wow, for sure. they do. And and the uh, the music is fabulous, and the anthems. Uh, the the anthemic quality of the work. I don't know if they ever set out to do anthems, but <laughs> every every big sporting event you go to, there one of three Queen songs <laughs> will be played. <laughs> we are the champions. Sure. We will rock you. I mean, it'll be there. Mm-hmm. And to hear those songs done by. Uh, most of the original musicians mm-hmm. with the, and I know Adam uh, has taken over and gotten a lot of uh, praise. Yeah, I saw but, he was very good when we saw him. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But it's it's tough to, because you could even tell with Paul Rogers, who has a, a good falsetto, uh, it was, they they would drop an octave to hit some of the notes uh, that, that Freddie hit. Yeah. Paul Rogers is one of those guys that you would think, I mean, it would be bigger than he is as far as name recognition. Yes. I think people know him, but, I mean, yeah. super talent. Yeah. Yeah. Just loved him. Yeah. So that was uh, probably the, the, the best concert I've seen as an adult. Concert. Uh, but, you know, I, I work nights. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, going out and, and seeing these gigs or uh, when you finally realize e- even – 
people today, five days a week, you're doing Monday through Friday. But uh, Saturdays and Sundays are galas and doing MC work and stuff like that. So I, w I would work probably 355 days a year. Uh, so I didn't have time. And, mm -hmm. and when Dave Moore retired, uh, he said, the thing I'm looking forward to is going to plays. And while I'm talking about Dave Moore, let, let me uh, tell you this about uh, something we share in common. Uh, so I'm a kid, I'm 1983, and uh, CCO makes the decision, TV, makes the decision that uh, Dave Moore uh, should retire and we need to get younger demos. And they put out a, a flyer for a lot of people in the broadcasting world, and uh, they, they finally decided, I'm going to move up to the 10 o'clock news. I'm replacing Dave Moore, mm -hmm. the most notable of broadcasters. He had a cue so high, he had a cue higher than the President of the United States in this state. A and cue, adored. Yeah. Cue higher, uh, uh, cue yeah. is a rating for popularity, knowledge, where you work, what you do, and do you like them. Um, and more than the governor. And so the most beloved figure <laughs> in the world, and I've got to uh, step in that slot. Yeah. And for three years, there was talk, we've got to fire Shelby because he's just... Oh, really? Not, oh, yeah. I did not know yes, that. Yes, that he's just not doing it. He's... He's not Dave he's Moore. He's not Dave Moore. Yeah. And I received, count him, uh, 1,700 plus letters, all of which I answered, all said the same thing in different ways, but I can encapsulate it in one sentence. You are no Dave Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I wrote back mm -hmm. the poor emails. I wrote back to them, mm -hmm. buddy, no one knows that more than I do. Then they asked me to take over drive at CCO Radio. Mm -hmm. Who do I replace? Steve Cannon. Steve Cannon. Mm -hmm. Another legend? A legend. Mm -hmm. How is that going to happen? And you just go head on. It's like Dave uh, playing against the Celtics. We're a pickup team from Minnesota. Mm. And they say, yeah, you guys, uh, the uh, celebrity team, are going to play the Celtics. Yeah. And you guard Havlicek. I got Havlicek. <laughs> and, and, and you and I, I know how competitive you are, and I know what a hooper you are. It doesn't occur to you that you're not going to play your ass off. Mm -hmm. You are going to make... Havlicek or Bird or whoever you're guarding wish they had not come out to Minnesota. You, your brain, if you're built like us, is you are going to play like you're going to win. Mm -hmm. Even though the odds are you're going to be completely annihilated. 
Mm-hmm. And you may, in your intellectual sense, go, we're going to be annihilated. But it's not because I didn't try. And I am going to hold Havlicek to six points. I'm going to out-rebound Bird. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I am going to do those things. Even though it's unreasonable and has absolutely no basis in fact, you want to be that. You want to play that way. And so once the three years passed, we started doing business, and the numbers increased. And I still get uh, confused uh, on the street when people look at me and they go, Hey, Dave Moore. <laughs> and, and I say, How you doing? How you doing? Buddy? Good to see you. I'm glad you remember. I'm glad you remembered. <clears throat> yeah. That, and and, uh, and look what you did. And in the last show, Dave, I don't know if you remember this, you were still uh, doing your work at CCO in the morning. Um, my last show, I called Steve. He was in Florida. Fly up here. He said, why? I said, because I want you to do my last show. I'll be your guest. And the last show I was on the air, Steve Cannon and I were in the studios. And he did, which he would never do at the state fair where anybody would see him. No. He did all the characters. That which was truly unusual in front of someone else. Yeah. And what I loved about that is that he trusted me to do those Oh, he had to have great trust in you. Steve and I were very close. And he had a very small group of, 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 of friends. And he was the man. He just... Hey, gang. Yeah. Oh, I could just, yeah. What a great idea, Don, <laughs> though, to do that. Yeah. And he said, and always, I got the money. I got yeah. the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, that's, uh, you, you come in under, you know, you're, can you pinch hit for Lou Gehrig? Can you pitch hit for oh, Mickey yeah, Mantle? Right, and and right. Yeah, there's going to be a core. Of, that's, a, that's a tough, tough situation, having been there myself. But you... Uh, I'd say you handled it pretty doggone well. He is Don Shelby. He's our guest here on my first concert, Dave Lee, along with Brianne Burdett. Uh, brought to you this afternoon or today, whatever time you're listening. That's the beauty of the podcast, right? Uh, most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint and provide reliable and affordable energy. And this is something that's in the news pretty much every day, as it should be. And a diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during in Minnesota, four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today that's ready to work alongside other energy sources, and it's called propane. Now, propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid, and propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today as we speak for renewable propane that is compatible with traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and certainly affordability. So propane, the right energy right now, what I would tell you is learn more. Do your research, your due diligence, and go to propane.com and learn about it. Don, any uh, any final thoughts here? Yes, I'll say one thing. <laughs> because uh, you have to step into the space and and be successful after the 
juggernaut Abun Erickson. Uh, and I can't imagine, and I ought to be the one who can imagine having replaced Steve Cannon and Dave Moore. And I remember having a conversation with Dave, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he said, well, do you know the name George Selkirk? And I said, no. No. And he said, yeah, nobody does. And I said, who's George Selkirk? He said he was an outfielder uh, for the Yankees. I said, um, I must have been before my time. He said, yeah, a little, little bit was. I said, why, why is George Selkirk important? He said, he replaced Babe Ruth. And nobody remembers him. He said, don't let that happen to you. He said, don't be like me. Be yourself. And you're going to be successful. And you have all my hopes and dreams riding on you. And so that kind of incentive, that kind of love, because we loved each other, uh, was a way of... Uh, giving me the inspiration to not try to replace him, but just to do my thing and hope in time people would accept me. And they did. For the most part. I had... <laughs> well, that's I, media. I had, <laughs> I had... Set, I had uh, people would visit from uh, CBS and various consultants. They would say... We need to talk to you. I said, why? <laughs> they said, you are an anomaly in television, anchoring. And I said, why? They said, uh, around the country, uh, we look at anchors and their uh, ratings based on their popularity, their cues. And uh, the most popular anchors have somewhere between 96 and 98% loyalty among their viewers and between uh, 90 and 92% among people from other channels who are watching other channels or are loyalists to them. Your highest rating, positivity rating, is 78%. You have 22% you have negative in this market. People who hate you, they absolutely hate you. And there is no way that with those numbers, you can translate to being the highest rated station and the most watched television station in any market in the uh, DMI. So... Um, I never could figure that out. <laughs> Why? And, and I, didn't, I didn't despise the people who disliked me. Mm -hmm. I uh, accepted that I have edges. I have corners. I have things that people bump into and don't like. Uh, and I sort of got to the point where I thought, I'll, I'm not going to change to, uh, I'm not going to 
change my standards or change my beliefs or change my approach. I'm going to change my journalism just so I can get more ratings or get more people to like me, to be more charming, to be, uh, just be seen and molded by uh, public relations firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Dave told me, just be yourself. You have that support coming from somebody like him. Yeah. Be like getting that support from a cannon, getting that support from a Boone and Erickson. I found a letter recently at home that Charlie Boone had written to me uh, three years probably after I took over for Booney. And I, 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 I don't know how I forgot about it. I did, and I saw it, and I started tearing up because mm. he and mm. Roger were both supportive. Mm. And without Dave Moore coming in and saying, Don, I mean, that's, that's a key, isn't it? Yes. Now, the competition thing you would do, but when you have the support of a giant, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So congrats. It's a blessing. Yeah, well, you, they didn't hand it to you. You, you earned it, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's great having you here. I love seeing you, Don, and, it's, it's, and I apologize for breaking your thumb that time in that basketball game. But it was a, it was a good pass. It just caught, it just caught your thumb. So I was, I was moving. <laughs> you've seen receivers do this where, they, where they're uh, starting to run before they've secured the ball. <laughs> yeah. I was, my hand was, I saw that clear path of the basket, <laughs> and I, that hand was uh, not in the correct position. It was my fault, not yours. It was a good pass. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't get the assist. It's, uh, I, I carried that with me, Dave. And not, not the pain of the thumb, the yep. injury. Uh, it's the fact that I did something that diminished you. No, it's an emotion. <laughs> The emotional scars are the toughest to heal. He is Don Shelby. This is my first concert. We really appreciate Don coming by today, who continues to be active. And by the way, I was at the Chanhassen last night at a concert there, and uh, Don is going to do another round of love letters. Yeah, with Nancy Nelson. Oh, she's a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah so and that's good. not bad for a guy who had a stroke that uh, knocked out his ability to speak for uh, two months. That's an amazing story. Uh, and can I just give you far be it from me to give you advice but i'm concurring with your doctor throw the shovel away get, get that snowblower <laughs> i moved 14 tons today so it's a little late tennessee ernie shelby with us here on uh, my first concert brianne thank you very much no thank you thanks, both. Brianne. of course and our thanks to star bank to uh, propane.com to aquarius home services yay aquarius Way to go, Jeff. And then uh, don't forget, now you can download this and all our podcasts at Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com. And our thanks uh, for doing it here today from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio.